Welcome to Managing Marketing, and we're here on uh, in San Diego, sunny San Diego. Um, uh, my guest and I have just completed uh, three or four days at the uh, ANA Advertising Financial Management Conference, and uh, my guest is Lyndon Brill, the brilliant Lyndon Brill, who is a senior consultant and financial expert at Trinity P3. Welcome, Lyndon. Hi, Darren. It's- Good to be here in San Diego. It's um, it was actually quite a good uh, few days, wasn't it? Uh, it's a good conference, the Advertising Financial Management Conference, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is, and I think especially with all the uh, transparency issues that have been in the market over the past twelve months, it's really uh, interesting to see where the industry's moved as a as a body and uh, where we're heading uh, into the future. Because um, this was your third year, was it? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, my first one was uh, Phoenix a couple of years ago, and then we went to uh, Florida last year, and now we're here in uh, San Diego. So um, one of the reasons I started coming to this is while there's a lot of marketing procurement conferences, this is probably the only one I've found anywhere in the world that has the agencies, the marketers, the uh, vendors and procurement all in together. It makes it quite a unique opportunity to really find out what's going on. Yeah, it does. I think, you know, it's certainly important to understand both sides of the story. So if you're coming at it from a marketer perspective or coming at it from an agency perspective, you know, as an industry, we've all got to work together. And uh, it's, uh, it's the reason I think it gets such strong support from uh, both sides of, uh, of the relationship. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great event and uh, it's always, uh, you know, addressing topics uh, uh, that are important to both uh, units going forward. So um, the f- it was actually not the first day, it was the pre-day, um, which they always have, which uh, uh, was Tuesday this year. And um, the, one that, the one topic that really stood out to me was uh, David Beals from Jones London Beals and Partner. He's been doing their ad, uh, agency compensation trends and best practices survey for the ANA for years. I'm, I'm not sure how many years it is. But um, uh, there were some really good insights from that, wasn't there, as far as the way uh, compensation... Oh, compensations going. I mean, I prefer to say remuneration, but um, one of them was uh, the rise again of the commission. Yeah, I think, you know, you've got to vet how this the uh, survey was uh, completed here, because I think the rise of the commission really is slightly confused. I think, you know, from creative relationships, certainly uh, the retainer or value-based remuneration is certainly taking a stronghold, but the rise of the commission really relates to uh, programmatic trading desks and the relationship with uh, media agencies uh, being uh, compensated or remunerated by their uh, by the marketers. Uh, do, uh, yeah, my feeling is that uh, marketers still quite haven't quite got their head around um, the alternatives, and so compensation is almost like the oh, sorry commission is almost like the default position that they've taken, isn't it? Yeah, I think, you know, where marketers are looking to increase their investment across this area, a commission is just easy because it's basically a user pays, uh, you know, whereby the agency gets remunerated to uh, to service uh, the media planning and buying 
uh, for, for digital inventory on a commission basis. But uh, certainly we're seeing uh, a push for retained trading desks uh, as the market tries to, to move into a, a more transparent era. Um, and certainly, you know, we still believe, uh, you know, it's about value and, and commissions are not always, you know, going to represent the best value for the marketer. Yeah, because um, commissions have always acted as uh, an incentive for the marketers to spend more. And you could argue, well, if they spend more, then the agency has to do more. But that's not necessarily so with programmatic. I mean, they're certainly setting up the... Uh, the algorithm for the buy and then optimizing that over time. But uh, you know, when you get down to the price of each individual impression, what's the incentive beyond delivering the lowest impression cost for the agency? Because they've really got a big incentive to make that as big as possible. Yeah, and I think you know that's something that we've we've seen you know really change over the last twelve months is that marketers are really trying to get an understanding of the breakdown of uh, the cost of digital inventory. So, uh, you know, in the push for, towards transparent uh, remuneration agreements, we're now starting to see agencies, uh, you know, break down what the, the fee is for the agency of record, what their demand side platform fee is, um, which can vary depending on which platform they're using. And then also, you know, a breakdown and a better understanding of tech costs because, uh, you know, it was interesting, some of the surveys there were, that were presented at the ANA conference were indicating, you know, up to 27% of total inventory spend is, can be spent on tech fees. Mm. Um, so, you know, if you add it all together, it's, you know, the whole ecosystem, you know, it, it can be quite inefficient and uh, therefore it has a substantial impact on the actual dollars that actually reaching the target audience. Now, the other um, thing was um, we saw uh, from the results and, and one of the limitations, what was the number of people that responded was only about 86 or something, 87. And that's out of a pool of uh, you know, a thousand companies. So it's actually quite a small sample. But uh, a real trend away from performance-based uh, compensation, sorry, remuneration. Yeah, that came as a real shock um, because it's certainly not what we're seeing in the market. I think we're sort of we're entering a period now where everything's measurable in the digital space, and therefore uh, accountability, uh, you know, should be front and centre. So, uh, as much as uh, where you know the survey said there was a move away from this, uh, it was interesting to note that there was a stat put up on the screen that of uh, the members that were interviewed, sixty-two percent did believe that performance-based remuneration did actually improve effectiveness and results. So uh, yeah, it was a bit of a uh, you know, a, a shock to see that that come up in the uh, in the survey. And what else did you uh, take out of that session? Yeah, one of the other interesting things was uh, only fifty percent of the respondents indicated that they had uh, read the K two report. Oh. And interestingly, also was that of the people that did it, did read the K two report, more than fifty percent had actually changed their contractual agreements with their uh, suppliers because of the fact of, uh, you know, what was identified during the, uh, during the report process. As, as the behaviours uh, that were identified, you know, and the need to actually change that. Well, that leaves a large uh, number, uh, uh, quickly 75% still need to either read it or take action. Yeah, certainly. And I think, you know, this is, the report really has helped the industry move forward. You know, there's been a number of 
uh, stumbling blocks over the last couple of years of why uh, you know it's taken so long for the industry to move forward. However, the uh, the K2 report was certainly the catalyst at a global level, uh, and therefore marketers have actually taken action, and therefore we're starting to see uh, a lot more disclosure in contractual terms and agreements. Mm. Now, um, then we got into on Wednesday. We got into the uh, the actual start of the conference, and one of the things I always look for is uh, and look forward to is Bob Laird, he's the CEO of the ANA always gives uh, almost state of the uh, union address as to where marketing is. Uh, and the big theme that I heard coming out of it is this I, this thought and, and the numbers about growth in decline. So uh, what, what did you think of that? Yeah, it was really interesting. Uh, Bob opened the uh, conference with a quote, which I thought was really great. Um, and that quote was, great marketing isn't great unless it produces business and brand results. And that's certainly what we push for uh, at Trinity P3. Uh, you know, performance is is imperative to, to getting great value. It's not just about costs. Um, and, you know, it's about the, the value that the outcomes of, of campaigns uh, deliver. Um, and uh, but he said that, you know, um, he had a fact up there, uh, what was it, 48% of the Fortune 500 had shown revenue falls in the last 12 months. And it was uh, averaged around 7.3% fall in revenue. That's pretty shocking, isn't it? Yeah, that's really uh, an interesting start. I think the, uh, you know, these the big brands really need to be, you know, pushing their, their agencies to, to concentrate on delivering performance. Uh, and, you know, another reason why the Fortune 500 uh, is, um, you know, being um, scrutinised, I guess, is that there's a, you know, a lot of smaller companies that are coming in disrupting their, uh, their, their business categories, models yeah. and categories. And therefore, we're seeing, uh, you know, a substantial amount of revenue coming, you know, out of the top 500. And you've got these fast growing uh, you know, tech startup companies that are really getting big slices of the pie. Do you think part of the problem is that we've seen more than a decade of cost cutting in marketing and that, uh, you know, while cutting costs is a great way to boost the bottom line, it does nothing for the top line. You know, we've actually cut to the point that uh, growth is being compromised or is it just the fact that these companies are no longer relevant and uh, they're not competing so growth is impacted? Yeah, certainly, you know, the old saying, you can't cut your way to growth, but I think, you know, and that was a big, uh, you know, talking point at the conference was that uh, innovation, you know, really is the key to driving growth and using technology to help grow businesses and grow revenue streams, uh, you know, and they're not specifically in, you know, maybe what the business is currently in at the moment. It's where's the market heading uh, and and looking for new new revenue streams and new new industries and new categories um, because if you're not uh, innovating you're certainly going to get left behind uh, and you know a lot of marketers out there now and businesses need to need to be taking risks because if you don't take risks you'll sort of end up where where Kodak sort of ended up with in the film industry yeah, yeah, yeah the rest of the market uh, disrupts you and uh, you're left uh, holding the ruins um, later on uh, that morning and it was just before lunch there was a terrific session on bot fraud from uh, Michael Tiffany at White Ops uh, I, I know you got some uh, real insight out of that didn't you yeah look he spent a lot of time addressing, you know, where the industry has been and, and the good news is, is the industry as a whole is starting to win the war against bot fraud. 
Um, and also, you know, the, the way that the market is changing and, uh, you know, certainly uh, the highest areas of bot fraud are in, uh, you know, sourced traffic. Uh, but the market really is moving more to, to you know, tightening down and, and utilising as much as possible, you know, non-source traffic. Um, yeah, so just to explain that, source traffic is where an advertiser comes along and says, well, I want to buy uh, uh, 50 million impressions and the uh, publishers, they're going, oh, I don't have 50 million, but hey, I'll just dial up the bots and deliver 50 million impressions, but they're not actually real people. That's basically the, the fraud that occurs, isn't it? Yeah, I think, and you know, also setting too narrow a targeting or low, lower cost per reach, for instance, is what you know, does support uh, that kind of bot frauds. And I think it's about making sure that it's about the quality of the inventory that's being bought, uh, more so than actual sheer volume of impressions served. So it's funny, isn't it? We live in a world where we think we can buy volume and quality at lower and lower cost. You know, it's, it's almost counterintuitive, but uh, that seems to be the, uh, the direction it's going. Yeah, certainly, uh, you know, the digital supply chain is already extremely complex. So it's really about making sure, um, you know, that uh, as part of your contractual agreements that you don't support um, payment to, to bots. So having terms included in your contractual agreements that only remunerate for things, uh, for impressions that are served to a human, uh, you know, and the push, certainly uh, we've got to continue the, the push against third party fraud with, with the walled gardens of Facebook and Google, uh, which, uh, you know, at the moment there's a, uh, you know, digital duopoly, they keep calling it. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Like they, you know, given that they they own pretty much fifty percent of the digital uh, ad space, it's yeah. really important that we continue to push for for transparency across the two big players. Yeah, um, and just to follow that theme, so we sort of just before lunch on the first day we were talking about bot fraud, and then we finished the day um, looking through the financial fog of programmatic with. Uh, uh, Adfin Solutions. That was uh, quite an enlightening presentation as well. Yeah, it was interesting. You know, it's been well, uh, you know, presented in the in the media that approximately forty percent of uh, every dollar only actually reaches the consumer audience. Uh, you know, the complex the publisher, yeah. the publisher, yeah, the complexity and fragmentation in the in the Lumascape, you know, is making a you know, inefficient, I guess, that the whole process from end to end. Uh, and therefore, you know, there needs to be a, a continuous push for efficiency across, you know, not just agencies, but also, uh, you know, demand side platforms that, you know, ad exchange process, uh, you know, viewability, uh, auditing. So, you know, it's a, there's a number of uh, different entities at the moment that are extracting uh, fees off of, off of uh, media budgets and therefore, you know, I think it's important that we push uh, to, to make the process as efficient as possible, uh, be it through the introduction of blockchain or the like, uh, and then also about the measurement, uh, you know, and push for uh, consistency, I guess, in, in measuring uh, the effectiveness of, of uh, impressions in the supply chain. Because I like the sort of idea that programmatic and, and the digital supply chain is, uh, you know, it started off as an infant 
and it's grown rapidly and now it's in this sort of awkward adolescence where it's, you know, the growth is starting to be questioned and the performance, they're starting to become rules and, and uh, I think we're going to see significant consolidation. Um, you know, that fragmentation that the Lumiscape uh, shows, uh, we're going to start to see people swallow the larger players swallowing up a lot of those but one of the key areas for me is you know a lot of the verification companies that actually are engaged in verifying the delivery of performance or delivery of inventory are actually largely working for the agencies and not the clients direct i mean that seems a little bit counterintuitive to me what do you think yes yeah, certainly um you know i think you know, companies like Integral Ad Science and also uh, Moat and the like, you know, yeah. is about making double sure... Double verify. Double yeah. verify, yeah. Is about, um, you know, providing analytical data of, of effectiveness, I guess, of, of uh, you know, current uh, digital inventory buying. Um, but I think it's really important also that, um, you know, it's provide the validation that it provides is also vital for any modelling, attribution modelling and the likes as well. But um, effectively, they're in most cases, they're being paid by the agencies that they're verifying to actually verify them. Yeah. That, now, that seems crazy to me. I don't know why advertisers and not paying them direct and getting those reports direct. Yeah, that's correct. And at the moment, those costs, I think, they're just wrapped up into the CPM in a lot of uh, situations, and therefore uh, the amount uh, that uh, marketers are actually paying for those services is, is unknown, technically. Mm. So, uh, yeah, certainly a, a direct relationship would be uh, a solution going forward. So that uh, brings us on to uh, day two. So there's the pre-day and then uh, so Thursday. Um, and there was a terrific session on marketing to millennials. I found that really interesting. What did you think? Yeah, really. Because neither of us are millennials, are we? No, we're, <laughs> no, we're not, Darren. <laughs> yeah, certainly millennials, you know, the market, the way that uh, marketers, uh, you know, engage with millennials is certainly changing. Millennials are, ex are you know, they're living in a, a mobile world these days. They are, uh, you know, the way that marketers um, can, uh, from a comms perspective, can can uh, get their messaging across is very different and they expect everything to be tailored. Uh, you know, it's no longer uh, with millennials so much, uh, you know, the old days of mass media, they're looking at very specific uh, comms uh, mm. across you know, the various different yeah, they channels. Want, they want their experience to be personalised. They want it to actually be uh, relevant specifically to them, which is quite different. You know, the baby boomers were the products of mass marketing. You know, the uh, Marshall McLuhan, the media is the message. And then you've got the Gen Xs that are, you know, um, have been the backbone of the economy. Now, you know, what was interesting for me was, first of all, millennials, who everyone thinks are, you know, inclined to think of teenagers are actually now in their 30s and they're having families and they're you know getting on with the life um, but they're not following the same linear uh, approach to life you know it's not uh, education career uh, 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 marriage and then children they're playing it their own way yeah, that's correct. It was interesting. They put up a slide of uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And for millennials, it's uh, the most uh, basic. desired basic need is Wi-Fi, 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 because <laughs> they live in a digital world. Um, but certainly for millennials, it's uh, it's really about making sure customer experience is paramount. 
um, that products are engaging and tailored to their to their needs. Uh, and this also, you know, comes across uh, engagement and, and the like across, you know, social platforms and those kind of things, because that's where uh, where the millennials are as far that's as where where they live. goes. That's where yeah. they live these days. Um, you know, so uh, and also uh, you know, because there is so much data on millennials because they are using their devices and ability, it's certainly, um, you know, where the push for, you know, artificial intelligence is coming because it really is, uh, you know, quite easy to, to capture lookalike audience as far as uh, in the programmatic space to, to uh, engage with millennials. Because um, the other thing, uh, and it was Jeff from uh, who actually was the co-author of Marketing to Millennials and Millennials with Kids, um, he said that millennial behaviour is actually impacting on the baby boomers and the Gen X. The, the, the things that they do, and because they're so engaged in social media and sharing and, and interacting, that they're actually impacting the way uh, baby boomers and, and Gen X purchase things as well, which was interesting. Yeah, certainly because we live, uh, you know, an on-the-go life, you know, all the time these days, certainly uh, the uptake of baby boomers on the likes of Facebook, you know, to keep in contact, you know, quite often grandparents these days find out what their grandkids are doing more from Facebook than actually having a conversation with uh, with their uh, sons or daughters. So, uh, you know, certainly uh, the uptake of um you know, social media platforms, uh, Instagram, Facebook, and the like, with the uh, with millennials and the the uh, um, Gen Yers. Uh, mm. You know, is certainly a, a key part of all comms these days. So, um, and then there was a session, and this was quite interesting because I've had lots of conversations about this topic with a lot of people, and there's a lot of confusion. But we had uh, uh, Babs uh, and. Um, can't pronounce his surname, but from IBM Corporation talking about blockchain. Um, now, I only had someone the other day tell me that, that they thought blockchain was just like Google Docs, and I just shook my head and went, oh, my God. You know. But uh, his, uh, his big thing was blockchain he saw as could absolutely revolutionise and solve many of the problems about the digital media supply chain, didn't he? Yeah, so blockchain is really, uh, it's an end-to-end -end audit system which basically process maps all of the different touch points along the way uh, in a transaction from, from start to finish. And I think, you know, IBM sees this as an opportunity within the digital media space for uh, marketers to be able to identify right from the time that, uh, you know, they uh, look to buy uh, digital inventory, for instance, or where, where they're being billed by their agency, right through to that where the uh, you know the last cent ends up with the publisher, mm -hmm. and all the different steps along the way, be it the um, demand side platform or the supply side platform, and then all the different you know ad viewability uh, and different data tech charges along the way. So the opportunity that's sort of been put on the table by uh, IBM, which you know. These things do take a substantial amount of time and investment to set up, um, but it, you know it also requires all all partners in the in the relationship, be it on the um, the marketer side or the agency side, but then also the su supply side mm. uh, in the digital media space. You know they've all got to work together, uh, and you know ultimately if they do, then you've got a, a completely transparent arrangement. However, uh, you know, I think it's one of those things that's going to take a long time to implement. I think probably a bigger 
catalyst for change in that space is going to be the entry potentially of consultants into the the digital uh, buying space, which they're not currently in. But I think you know it, when they bring that extra competition into the uh, uh, industry, um, you know certainly the the big six yeah. holding companies are going to have to become a lot more efficient, a lot more transparent, faster because you've got big. Big players like IBM, PwC, Accenture in this space who are notoriously known for, for being uh, transparent. See, it's interesting. I think most people, uh, and it's good you brought up the consulting firms, because most people forget that these consulting firms could buy most of the holding companies with their loose change. You know, they are that much bigger. Um, and I could see, see, I don't see a holding company necessarily embracing blockchain technology to provide their clients with greater accountability to the transactions. But I could absolutely see an IBM or a PwC or Accenture actually embracing this technology and using that as a way of differentiating their media offering from everything else. Um, you know, and, I, and I think that's one of the things. People within a category can never disrupt themselves because they've got a legacy um, a buy-in that they don't want to give up. But uh, certainly, as you say, the consultants are not in the media space in any large way to date. But if they make that move, it could completely disrupt it. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the big, uh, the big accounting firm, well, traditionally accounting firms that are now moving into the, the digital uh, and technology space like PwC, you know, they've got reputable brands, they're very, um, you know, transparent and they, you know, support corporate governance and the like. And I think, uh, you know, certainly, uh, you know, the rigour that they put around it, although it will come at a premium, as we all know, you know, they're, they're certainly at a premium in the market at the moment. Uh, you know, they're, they're not cheap, those, un those business units, but, uh, you know, certainly they will push uh, significant change and disrupt the uh, the traditional uh, holding company uh, networks. Yeah, and and look, just to uh, finish off on blockchain, um, you know, I hear lots of people trying to describe it, and they just confuse the hell out of everyone. But um, the, in my mind, the way to think about it is a block is a collection of information around either a process or a um, an agreement or whatever. And that what makes it secure is its position in a chain of these blocks, that each block is verified by the where it sits. And there could be hundreds of thousands of other blocks in that chain. So it makes it impossible for anyone to replicate it because to defraud someone, you need to be able to change it or replicate it to create duplicates. And um, the, the other thing that uh, annoys me is everyone starts off by saying, oh, of course, blockchain technology was developed for Bitcoin. But most people don't understand Bitcoins anyway. So it's like they use a reference point that uh, confuses people in the first place. Yeah, for, for every transaction in blockchain, there can be literally thousands of audited uh, record points, um, which, you know, that essentially makes up the whole chain in an end-to-end -end transaction. And I think... Um, you know, having full transparency from the start through to the finish uh, is, is exactly what, uh, you know, certainly marketers are looking for. But uh, as you mentioned before, I think there'll be substantial uh, stumbling blocks with the uptake there from, uh, from and support from the agencies, uh, you know, 
until uh, until you know something comes along that's cost effective that that, that will uh, change the direction of the focus to, uh, to to provide transparency and efficiency. Mm. Now uh, there was a lot over the four days about production, which you know I don't think we'll even touch upon because uh, it was all about uh, transparency in production and. Uh, and the like, but uh, certainly on the last day, there were two sessions that really got my attention. The first was uh, Mark Passy from Bristol Myers Squibb, who is a marketing procurement uh, person, and he was talking about transforming marketing procurement. I know um, you had some terrific insights from this. Yeah, he actually started as a, as a record producer and uh, for about 16 years and then transitioned into procurement, but. I think one of the uh, you know the key takings from his presentation is that he said you know as procurement you should sort of treat yourself as the CEO of the business so uh, you know you need to consider you know procurement's role within the broader business and you, you need to know when to when to spend money and support investment but also know when to cut cut uh, spending uh, you know in an effective way so it's really about. Uh, you know, turning the tap on and off and, and making sure that, you know, when you do go and negotiate, you know, it's not so much about the cost, it's about the outcomes and the impacts that, you know, negotiations have. And, and as long as you're always thinking about uh, the outcomes and performance, you know, cost is one thing, but it's really about, you know, procurement's role is to deliver value. Uh, and performance. Well, it should be, except that so many uh, procurement people are bought into marketing with the objective of cutting costs. And that's what I liked about uh, Mark's perspective. And I thought of all of the speakers over the four days, he was the only one that really picked up on the point that Bob made on the on the first opening day about the need to drive growth, because that's what he was talking about, is having someone work with marketers that are really focused on making the tough decisions in a way of where to invest, where to cut back, where to look for increased productivity, really start to help marketers pull the levers of uh, financial levers to actually maximise performance of marketing. Yeah, I think, you know, it's been for, for a number of years, there was challenges there between marketers and procurement departments. But I think that's really changed. And especially with the procurement departments that really are getting away from cost cutting and, and, and focusing on delivering value and performance, because ultimately, you know, that's if they make say procurement department makes savings that's actually quite often extra budget that goes into the marketing function and therefore they can deliver more uh you know more campaigns which can help drive sales and, and deliver that growth mm. and i think you know if procurement um can really grow that relationship with the marketing departments and they work together you know hand in glove i think that ultimately uh, is the best outcome because it's then procurement really is seen as a growth driver, the same as marketing, you know, as a, as a business unit being seen as an investment centre rather than a cost centre, uh, which it used to be seen as. Yeah, look, I, th I see it as it allows marketers to focus on chasing growth, right? But it, uh, it then puts the management of the, the financial management, the underlying investment management with procurement who are able to then perhaps help marketers make decisions about where it's best to invest and where they should be looking for either pulling back on that investment or uh, making it work harder 
through increased productivity. Because I think sometimes marketers are so into the strategy for delivering, you know, result marketing results that um, that the actual financial management becomes secondary. And I think by having that allocated to a procurement person who is also aligned to producing growth, you're going to get a better balance between the two. Yeah, and I think, you know, the the investment in technology for businesses these days is also substantial. So the marketer is not only just looking at, uh, you know, it's, it's brand and comms planning, it's looking at working with, you know, IT departments and also procurement to drive uh, innovation, uh, you know, from a tech investment perspective. Uh, so procurement is also, you know, a, a, can be a, a key assister uh, in helping negotiate these kinds of contracts with the likes of IBM, mm. uh, you know, and other big big tech companies. Mm. Now, the uh, for, for me, the final, well, I know there was one more, but the final one was the Wall Street view of Madison Avenue. And uh, great to hear from uh, Brian Weiser from Pivotal Research, uh, who had some terrific uh, insights into the performance of the holding companies. Yeah, that was really interesting. Uh, for the first quarter uh, in North America, uh, the big five hold companies uh, actually delivered zero uh, organic growth. Mm. Um, it's important to state that that's organic because obviously there's you know a number a lot of ac- acquisition activity out there. Um, but yeah, he sort of pointed to uh, a number of key reasons why uh, the big five are, are struggling for growth across this area. Um, you know, there's the you know there's been a big push for zero based budgeting by marketers whereby you know there, there's no committed marketing budgets up front everything's looked at it from a, a return on investment perspective uh, there's certainly the growth uh, of media dollars that are going to uh, the world gardens of Facebook and Google these days um, you know more in the US than uh, you know in Australia for instance you know there, there's a lot more in-housing going on be it of in-house production uh, or uh, in-house pr- programmatic trading desks for, for large marketers that have got uh, you know, size and scale to invest in that area. Um, and then obviously, as we mentioned before, you've got the rise of consultants. So, you know, they're certainly competing at a level with the likes of Accenture and uh, PwC and IBM. I actually liked one of his quotes. He said uh, he was talking to the CEO of one of the uh, big agency networks who said, uh, oh, yeah, we don't come up against the consultants in pitches. And he said, that's because they're in the pitches you're never going to be invited to, um, which, uh, <laughs> which was, I thought, uh, insightful, but also perhaps a bit uh, sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also, you know, there's a number of other, you know, there's the, the certainly in the US, it's been there for a little while, but the death of the, the agency record, because, uh, you know, it's a, marketers are now having a number of partners across these space. These, this space um, and then there's a lot more you know specialist uh, suppliers um, that, that, that are taking away you know what was traditionally uh, mm. uh, you know a, a creatively or lead agency led model or could also be a media uh, led model but uh, certainly uh, it's having a big impact on the on the, the holding companies and obviously you know the impact of the K2 report coming out in June last year has had a major impact. And I think, you know, it's about, uh, you know, people have been looking for alternative options because, that, you know, the, there was some distrust there, but, you know, it's the challenges ahead for the for the big five or big six. 
to to restore that trust now like it's going to it's interesting i don't i think this might be the last year that we talk about the big five or the big six Mm-hmm. Um, because it's actually the big 10 now because the uh, certainly in the digital space we're seeing the likes of uh, you know PwC and Accenture you know have revenue revenue that, that exceeds the revenue of some of the, the big mm-hmm. holding companies uh, and that's going to be a massive transition uh, you know I don't think it's going to be very long before uh, the consultancies enter the the digital buying space and certainly we're going to be seeing uh, you know, essential PwC in the top five in the next probably only two to three years, I think. Well, in fact, I, um, I read about uh, three or four weeks ago that uh, a prediction from one of the M&A specialists that they think one of the smaller holding companies will get uh, snapped up by one of these big uh, consulting firms as a sort of mass buy, almost like uh, WPP picking up STW Group. They're sitting there waiting for the holding company share prices to collapse, and then just pick them up for the uh, the uh, the cost of the um, debt that they hold. Yeah, there's certainly been uh, you know there's a lot of there's a lot of debt in the uh, in the big networks because they have been going on aggressive uh, acquisition streaks, and you know they've been paying multiples which are more than than what the market you know, so values them at equity, now. Their debt to equity ratios are, are completely out of whack. Yeah, that's that's correct. Uh, and, you know, with d- the disruption that's coming from the consultants and also technology, you know, the, the, the holding companies are really going to have to change their uh, models rapidly or, or we're going to see a continued de- decline in organic growth. So, look, that was the, that's the week we've had. I mean, uh, no wonder we're both feeling a bit tired, but um, it's certainly uh, been a terrific uh, few days, hasn't it? Yeah. Well, look, we always look forward to this conference every year, and I, I certainly do. And it's really great to, to get an understanding of, you know, where, uh, you know, the USA or North America sits at such a, you know, a major player in the global market. And uh, certainly, to you know, it, it's so relevant to a lot of the, the global business that we do on a on a day to day basis. So yeah, it's uh, certainly a great conference. And you know, I think uh, this year we've gone from you know the the transparency discussion last year to where the markets really evolved. So I'm really looking forward to uh, you know where the market moves to uh, in 12 months' time when we're back here again. Well, we've got 52 weeks of resting up before <laughs> that. So. Uh, Uh, Thanks for coming to San Diego. No problem. Thanks, Darren.